Welcome to the Creative Agency Account Manager podcast with me, Jenny Plant from Account Management Skills Training. I'm on a mission to help those in agency client service keep and grow those existing client relationships so your agency business can thrive. Welcome to episode 81. Now, this episode is for you if you're looking for inspiration for how to enhance your client's experience and lead them into the future. Catherine Strachan is the founder of Copyhouse, an award-winning B2B content marketing agency for fast-growing fintech and tech brands. Now, Catherine's story is an impressive one. In 2020, she was a freelance copywriter. And just three years later, as we record this now in February 2023, she has an agency with a team of 25 people and her client base includes some of the biggest names in tech and fintech. Now, during our chat, she shares with me how she built the agency so fast, and what she thinks it takes if you want to do the same. What's happening right now in the tech space and how she's supporting her tech clients, why she's building a client advocacy program and what that includes, how she's leading her clients into the future through education, and lots, lots more. Let's go over to the introduction now. Today, I'm delighted to be talking to Catherine Strachan. Catherine is the CEO of Copyhouse, an award-winning content marketing agency that specializes in content creation for tech and fintech companies. Copyhouse's client base includes the likes of Meta and Klarna, and Catherine is certainly a thought leader in the content marketing space. She pops up all over my LinkedIn feed. She's everywhere speaking and sharing her knowledge with the industry. And some of her achievements include winning the IWD Shine Award 2022 for Female Leader of the Year, winning the Institute of Directors Director of the Year Award, being a Forbes Agency Council contributor and a BEMA 100 judge in 2022 too. And I just read, Catherine, that you've just become part of the Barclays Eagle Labs female founder class of 2023. So a huge welcome. There were lots more, but I had to choose the kind of the highlights. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Would you mind spending a couple of minutes just talking about, because when we were talking before the podcast launched, you started telling me a bit about the journey you've had growing Copyhouse. So I'd love you to just capture that quick story for everyone. Yeah, no problem. I mean, I guess it goes all the way back to when I graduated from UCL with my master's in modern lit. You know, having two degrees in English literature is, you know, what do you do with it? It's it's a big question that a lot of English lit grads probably think about. And I didn't really know at the time. So, you know, I tried to apply for administrative roles and had a really terrible time. I remember applying for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of roles and getting some interviews and being turned down, being told that I was, you know, the second best and, you know, not securing a role. I did eventually secure like a junior copywriter position at a small agency up in Edinburgh. And that was really my first taste of copywriting. And I remember being paid peanuts. I was being paid about 18K a year and asking for a 2K raise to 20K a year and being told no. And, you know, it was such a small amount to ask for. And I had done lots of really great work for about six months for them when I asked for it. So it felt justified. 
And, you know, that moment was a real sliding doors moment because that was when my husband said, you know, you don't need them. You can do this without them. And it was a real eye-opening moment. And that really pushed me to go into being a freelance copywriter, which is where it all got started. You know, it's quite unusual, actually, for my husband to say to do something very risky because he is a mental social worker. You know, he's very risk adverse. He doesn't normally take big risks. So for him to say, no, you deserve more than that. You should go for this was really eye opening. And, you know, I believed him. So I believed in myself and I went for it. And yeah, it's been well, we've been hiring for about three years now. I was a freelance copywriter for about nine months before we started hiring. And then, yeah, started hiring in January 2020. And I've grown um, just a team of four in January 2020 to a team of 25 today. Today we do around 1.5 million and we're aiming for the 2 million mark this year. And we were on track to reach that. So I always look back at that moment, like how short-sighted was it that they said no, two grand a year raise. And if they had said yes, I think I probably would have stayed there for a little bit longer at least. You know, I'm a really loyal person. You know, I give my full heart to everything I do. So I would have definitely stayed there for a while and I wouldn't be where I am today. So that seemed like a low point in life and in my career, but actually it opened a really big door that I needed a push to go through. And, you know, it was my husband who gave me that push. Amazing. I think there may be people listening to this that perhaps are freelancing or maybe considering freelancing. What advice would you give? Because clearly in three years, you've had phenomenal success growing your agency. It seems to have happened really quickly. You also shared with me in the green room before we started that you didn't really have a huge network of people, you know, in terms of having a big, long career and maybe established clients before you. So what advice would you give to someone else that's kind of thinking, wow, she's just proved that it's doable? You know, what would you say to them? I guess I would say to be sure that it's what you want, because yes, it is doable, but it's a hard road. You know, it's been a lot harder than I ever expected it to be. I mean, I think I didn't fully know what I was getting myself into and I didn't fully think about it either. And, you know, I feel like I did end up on the right path because I was always meant to be an entrepreneur instead of a copywriter. You know, I say that I was an accidental copywriter rather than an accidental entrepreneur because... I was always destined from probably birth to be an entrepreneur. My dad is a businessman and, you know, he always used to say to me, you should have your own company, you should have your own company. And I would always say, no, dad, I want something stable. Like I want a steady income. You know, I had watched him go through the 2008 economic recession and, you know, I watched him really get hit quite hard by it. So, you know, I didn't want to go down that path. And I said no for a really long time, but and I hate it when it's true, but he was right. Yeah. I mean, running an agency is difficult and it really depends on what you want. So, you know, if you want to be the best copywriter you can possibly be, then going freelance probably isn't the right route because you're going to have to do lots of things outside of that actual skill. You know, you've got to do all the invoices, you've got to do the sales, you've got to do the marketing, you got to do all of it. But if you want to run and own a business, then, you know, that's really great training ground because you get a little bit of a taste of everything. And, you know, obviously Coffee House has evolved way past that. And, you know, the things that we do now are way bigger than I could have ever done on my own. But I do know a little bit about client management and I do know a bit about sales and marketing. And, you know, I've done a little bit of everything that we do so that I have some insight into what's required in those roles. So I would say it really depends and that people should think 
hard and long about what they want in their life and what they want in their career and then make the decisions appropriate for that. You know, if you want to be the best copywriter, you can possibly be working someplace that you don't have to worry about any of the logistics or sales or invoices or marketing is way better for you. You know, working as part of a team where you can train and develop your skills and learn from people above you. But if you want to be an entrepreneur, then yes, absolutely. But I would just say to um, think about it and make a decision based on what you want the end goal to be rather than just rushing into it because it's not as easy as it seems. You know, we all see these big glossy fronts and, you know, social media is great, but it's only part of the story as well. I think that's really good advice. I mean, if someone listening again is thinking, yes, I do want to run the business and I don't want to be the copywriter that's in-house, what have been the key accelerators to your growth? Like what have been the key moments or the key decisions you've made that have accelerated your journey? There's been a few things, definitely. I mean, it's lots of small incremental progress rather than like one massive thing. I think, though, if I had to boil it down, having a really clear proposition has been massively helpful. You know, we are a content marketing agency that specializes in B2B tech. You know, I can fit what we do in one sentence and I do a lot of networking. So I meet a lot of other agency owners. And when they say to me, we're a full service digital marketing agency that works across all industries and niches, I don't know what to do with them. I don't know who to introduce them to. I don't know what projects to think of them for. And I don't know how to compartmentalize them so that I can help them. So I think having a really clear proposition has been massively successful. And, you know, when we won Meta, that was one of the things that they said to us was that they chose us because of our specialty in the B2B tech space. So, you know, it's allowed us to punch above our weight and really stand out and really cut through the noise as well and find the clients who we can help, who we want to help, who are the good fit for us. So I would say that that is one massive area that I would recommend getting really clear on who you are and what you do and what you do really well. And then I would say that the other one is building a team. You know, I couldn't do what I do without my team. I spend almost all my time networking and socializing and being on podcasts and doing lots of things like that. But I couldn't do that if I was still stuck in the weeds you know, they carry on the day to day, they do all of that for me, you know, I've allowed them the freedom or yeah, supported them and encouraged them to like do what they really do well. And that's made us a whole lot strong. So, you know, I've always started with identifying my weaknesses, and then bringing in people who could compliment me. So one of my first hires was our head of ops. You know, I'm not good at processes and systems. And, you know, my brain doesn't work like that. I can come up with big ideas, but I have no idea how to like actually make that a reality where our head of ops, you know, he joined us as a junior project manager three years ago and is now our head of ops, but does all of the processes, all of the systems. He put in a whole new project management system that I don't even know how to get into. Like, I don't even have a login for. <laughs> I, I don't know what's in there. And, you know, he set it up and trained the team and, you know, they all run it and manage it. And I don't need to be in there. And, you know, that is really powerful. So I think being able to let go and trust your team and know that they sometimes and often no more than you do has also been really important for our growth. See, it's not for everyone, isn't it? Like, I think that's great advice, a clear proposition. You're so true. Build a team that you can rely on and get everyone in the right seats doing what they find easy to do. 
and then being able to delegate. And that last thing, I think I've seen agency owners, and I would include myself in this. I'm a bit of a control freak, and it is hard to let go. But what you've done is, I think that's a huge part of how successful you've been. So Catherine, tell me, you're going out there, presumably, like you are the visionary, you're, as you say, networking, talking on podcasts, you've become so well known in the industry as the voice of content marketing. So you're really positioning yourself as the expert. But when you're talking to clients from a new business perspective, I mean, presumably you're heavily involved in sales. Yeah, no, I am at the moment. We're in between business developers. We're getting a new head of growth soon, but I am at the moment and it is definitely one of my strengths. I feel because I'm good at inspiring people and getting them excited about things and being nice to them and just helping them. (laughs) But yeah, I, I do a lot of the sales still. And I love how you always come across as so relaxed, even though I know how much you've got going on. So when you're talking to clients now, let's talk about like we're recording this in February 2023. What challenges are these B2B tech companies and finance companies talking about? And how are they expecting you to be able to solve them? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing at the moment, everybody's starting to feel like the crunch of the recession. And also, you know, there's been a lot of layoffs in the tech space from some of the big corporate giants, and that's making everybody a little bit nervous. I guess, you know, that then changes how we support them. So we're doing more on employer branding, you know, we're doing more helping their team more knowing that, you know, they might be operating with a smaller team than they were listening to, you know, the changes that they're making. So some of our clients are going through like bigger structures and, you know, listening to the changes that they're making and identifying new ways that we can kind of support them, even if it's not on a service level, but on a, on a friend level. And I think, you know, when it comes from a place of wanting to help and when you listen to how you can help, Sometimes it might not even be within your service remit. You know, it might not be the actual deliverables that they need help and support on. It might be, you know, navigating a new change like a restructure, navigating an uncertain recession, or even just giving them some reassurance about, you know, maybe what we're seeing from other clients because, you know, we work with multiple companies across the space. So, you know, we know, you know, the percentage roughly of our clients who are going through redundancies but sometimes the media hypes us up a bit Mm. and the actual reality on the ground what's actually happening in the industry can be a bit different so it's you know kind of navigating them and leading them and giving them some reassurance and giving them some fresh ideas and really focusing on client retention as well so you know we're taking all of our clients to Circus Soleil the beginning of March which is like a big event in fact Today, we invited one of our clients and we got an email that said, is this a real email or is this a phishing email? Because this is just like the nicest thing ever. And we were like, no, it's a real email. (laughs) We're really inviting you to this. And she was overjoyed about being invited out to Circus Soleil. You know, we're going to sit ringside and have drinks and food beforehand and meet some of the performers after. So it's going to be a really nice event. But I think, you know, clients need and want to feel supported and loved and taken care of and you know sometimes this is about going outside of you know the actual doing and thinking about the bigger relationship so you know next week we're going to one of our clients offices in Brighton and we said you know bring the whole team we'll bring in 
and lunch. We're going to like repitch to them. So we already have them, you know, we still work with them. It's not about, you know, getting a new opportunity, but it's about bringing in fresh ideas, showing them a bit more about what we can do. And also reporting on some of the results we've had from them over the last year, building relationships internally, especially because they're a big corporate. So, you know, there'll be stakeholders who we haven't met or don't know as well as some of our main stakeholders and really thinking about how we can retain clients and make them feel really special. So one of the things that I'm looking at this year is launching like a client advocacy program, which will include things like the events and lunches and dinners and, you know, lots of opportunities that we can bring to them because we deliver a lot more value than actually, you know, creating a piece of content. Yes, we can do that, but we can also, you know, make sure that you have a really awesome time and a really awesome experience and that you know and like us as much as we know and like you. Amazing. So as part of that client advocacy program, you're obviously kind of getting closer to your clients in terms of building those relationships, taking them outside of their environment, which is super smart, and something particularly special that they would really sort of go for. You're repitching to them, which I think is super smart as well. That's a very brilliant way to sort of re-engage, particularly with stakeholders, like you said, that you haven't met. What other things do you have planned within this client advocacy program? Yeah, so we want to be doing about two events a year, like the big Circus Soleil event, and they've been given a plus one so they can bring family members. And now we're getting to know some of their people that they care about outside of work. But we're also going to be doing lots of lunches and opening training programs as well. So, you know, we're doing a regular tech talk series. So inviting a client to be as part of that panel. So helping to raise their publicity and doing lots of things like that. It's still very early days. But yeah, we're kind of forming a dedicated program that will officially launch with, you know, a dedicated landing page on our website that says everything that we do for our clients. And yeah, it gives them a lot of value outside of just the actual delivery. I think, again, it's something that's super smart. I mean, I think particularly where big enterprise level clients have procurement departments and perhaps you had to deal with procurement, they are now looking for ways that agencies can bring value. So having some kind of training academy built into, you know, ways of working, I think, again, it's an absolute added value for the company. So you're obviously, as part of that kind of, being very proactive with the client management and the client relationships. In terms of, you know, you are at the cutting edge. You mentioned earlier on about leveraging your understanding of what's going on with other clients, bringing other clients that insight. What other things are you sharing with them that's helping them stay ahead of what's happening in their market? Yeah. I mean, I guess we're also in a really unique position because we understand some of the cutting trends within the tech space. So, you know, we understand the metaverse and web three and, you know, even though our clients are in the tech space themselves, they might not be directly in that part of the industry. So helping them to understand some of the things that are coming down the pike and thinking about, you know, how it might apply to their business and if it is something that they should embrace or shouldn't embrace. So I do a lot of speaking on, the metaverse especially, and have done a few talks in the most recent months because it is quite a big thing that a lot of people are thinking about to help raise awareness and educate people on you know, what they need to be thinking about if they want to go down the metaverse route, if they want to look at NFTs or community coins or you know, any of these things so that we can help 
educate them and guide them. And, you know, when they have questions, you know, we're there to answer them and provide that expertise that they might not be able to get elsewhere. Again, it's a really good insight to, for everyone listening to think, you know, the client organization comprises people of lots of different talents and experience levels. And probably the individuals that actually are maybe on a par with an agency's knowledge of Web3 or Metaverse are very, very tiny, if at all. So that's, again, another way to engage the whole company. So what are you finding when you're delivering these talks on the Metaverse? What are the key things that clients are saying to you that was really interesting? And also, are they taking action on anything? Is there anything that they're beginning to implement? Yeah, I think it depends on the client because it is really early days for a lot of brands. I mean, especially a lot of brands who aren't directly in the metaverse space. You know, it's really early days and looking at, you know, how they're going to allocate their budget, especially in a recession on like things that work versus like experimental things that may not work. So it depends on the agency or depends on the brand. But what we've been doing is kind of just having these conversations and helping to raise awareness. And what we found is that quite a lot of people are in the very early stages of their understanding of the metaverse and how it works and how it, especially how it can be used within the marketing landscape rather than within like a product or a service landscape. So it's really early days for them. And so it tends to be more about education, you know, thinking about, the option rather than like perhaps acting on it. And I think this year will continue like that because especially during the recession, like the experimental marketing budget is being cut back where like previously, you know, brands, especially larger brands would have a bigger experimental budget that they can kind of play around with. And it doesn't really matter if it works or doesn't work where a lot of brands are now currently leaning more towards the safer side of, you know, we want to do things or, you know, we need to drive leads immediately. So we're going to invest more in, you know, paid advertising and, you know, organic alongside it, but are playing it safe, especially at the moment. And I think that will probably continue for the next year or until the recession kind of people are feeling a bit more confident again, because there is a lot of uncertainty and insecurity within the market at the moment but once that kind of settles and once everybody kind of gets past the initial fear of you know the beginning of this year and starts to think about their bigger plans or longer term plans I think that will probably remain. So are you finding because this is the theme that's coming up with some of my clients that their clients are you know cutting budgets being more cautious with budgets. So everything you're saying is echoed in what I'm hearing as well. Have you got any other, other than sort of more of a back to basics approach in terms of the fundamentals of marketing, making sure that you're doing everything, you know, in a steady way, maybe they don't have the budget to invest in more longer term plans, like you said, do you have any other suggestions for ways to navigate this situation with clients cutting budgets? Yeah, there are some creative ways to tap into other budgets because there are things that you will do that fall outside of marketing. So, for example, you know, we do a lot of content around employer branding and helping to raise, you know, the value of the company by showcasing their internal events. Well, that normally falls into like the HR budget. And all the training we do tends to fall into the learning and development budget. So companies will have lots of different budgets. And the more you know the internal stakeholders, the more you know what budgets there are. And they will often have dedicated budgets for different 
departments, but marketing stretches across organizations. So, you know, who says you can't do more sales related stuff and take from the sales budget rather than just a marketing budget. So it's about knowing how all those internal systems work, where there is budget and being flexible and willing to pivot and support in different ways in different areas than, you know, just only drawing from the marketing budget. Think as well, like thinking long term. So yeah, you know, it sucks to have your budget reduced for a few months, but also recessions and redundancies are short term. You know, there is no recession that has always lasted for eternity. And there are no redundancies that companies don't normally come back from. I mean, all these big companies are making redundancies, but, you know, they're still being profitable. You know, they'll still be profitable a year from now. So it's not like Microsoft or IBM or any of these companies that are making redundancies are going to go under. They're not. They are simply cutting back their excess and trimming the fat. So you need to play the long game and think about it in the long term, because even though a client might be having redundancies right now, you know, you might not be be able to work for them this month, I'd be surprised if they leave on good terms. I'd be surprised if they're not back in four or five months. So, you know, play the long game. Think of it as an infinite game and think about that relationship in the long term. So thinking about how you can support them and make sure that they leave on a good note and aren't leaving on a bad note or getting upset because they're immediately cutting your budget because these things, they swing in roundabouts. Mm. I think it's, again, really great advice, play the long game. And it just occurred to me with all of the content you're generating through talking on podcasts, through doing speeches, writing blog posts, I think staying top of mind for clients, you know, so that when they do have their budgets reallocated, that you are going to be well-placed and well-positioned in their mind. And I was just thinking there must be a lot of repurposing that you can do with all of the content that you generate through talking on stage and, you know, sharing your insights. So I think that's a really good point. Something I was dying to talk to you about, because obviously you're first and foremost a content marketing, you know, and with copywriting and content generation at its core. What are your thoughts on, you know, this explosion in chat GPT and AI driven tools to generate content that kind of started, I think it was, you know, towards the end of last year and has just accelerated, you know, can you give me your sort of perspective reflections on how that's changing things? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it opens doors and opportunities. So, I mean, there's quite a lot of interesting ways that can be used within the creative process. But I also think especially high value creative, it will never truly replace. So there's a bit of a fad around it. You know, it's a bit of a trend. It's really blowing up at the moment, you know, and already we can notice that people aren't talking about it as much today as they were even in January at the beginning of the year. So there is a bit of a craze around it. And that's not to say that it's not valuable because it is, and it does definitely have some cool uses, but it also obviously has limitations as well. So I would say, you know, don't get completely swept up in the craze and be intelligent enough to be able to determine what is hype and what is an actual use case or, you know, a way that you can use it to augment and improve, you know, the services that you use. I think, you know, it's got a long way to go before it can actually fully replace creatives. And I don't think that will ever truly happen. You know, so a lot of the content we do is thought leadership based. So we do interviews with subject matter experts and then take those insights and create a high, high value, very technical article off the back of it. 
chat GBT is never going to be able to do that. You know, what we hear from clients, like especially sometimes the smaller clients will think, oh, I could just do this with AI. But, you know, you really can't. And it's only really the smaller ones who don't fully understand the value of marketing, who don't fully understand what it is that we truly do. So these are maybe like some of our smaller C-level clients who, you know, may or may not last. Different story altogether. And, you know, we're not hearing it from our bigger clients who understand the value of marketing. And rightly so, you know, you can use it to maybe come up with new ideas or, you know, developing an app that helps with proofreading because, you know, proofreading and picking up errors might be something that a computer can do better than a human or writing meta descriptions or like really tedious tasks like that. But it, it doesn't hold up when you look at more highly technical articles or when you look at more creative ideas and concepts. So it does have its uses, but just like Grammarly did, you know, and Grammarly can't replace proofreaders. I mean, you still need a human set of eyes, but it does help you pick up, you know, some of those errors. So I think it will fade into the background in a way, in like the way that a, a tool like Grammarly does. You know, nobody's talking about Grammarly every single day, but, you know, a lot of us in the industry do use it to pick up some of those errors and, you know, to have another set of eyes that maybe hasn't spent hours and hours looking at a piece of content. So it does have its use, but I think it will probably fade into the background a little bit as well and become a bit more normalized so that not everybody on LinkedIn is talking about it every single day. And writing their LinkedIn posts with the chat GPT at the bottom. I read today again on LinkedIn that Google is launching something called Bard. Have you heard of that? They're doing a presentation in Paris tomorrow, which is their kind of version, which so it's going to be quite interesting with all of this AI powered content that's being created. As you say, it's probably going to evolve a lot more from where we are today. But Currently, I think there's some question around IP and stuff like that. Like, where are they getting all this data from in the first place to then be able to regenerate it? So it's going to be an interesting space to watch for sure. Yeah, though it's also not really anything new for Google because Google has had natural language programming as part of its algorithm for a really long time. So BERT came out a few years ago. So it's had natural language programming. And what that does is it helps the algorithm to understand the search intent. So when you type something into Google, it can make sure that the content it serves you is relevant and matches what you're looking for. So, I mean, this came out a few years ago. So the fact that Google now has a chat GBT version of it really isn't anything more but an evolution of where it's always been headed. And, you know, its algorithm increasingly gets smarter as it moves more towards mimicking a human and understanding how humans use the internet to search. So it's really nothing new. No. Well, thank you for that clarification. It's new to me for sure. So I'm on the tail end trying to catch up. Is anything that you've been doing with Meta published and out in the public domain that you can talk about? Not really. No. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> we have a couple of big corporate reports that we're doing for them, but those aren't, those aren't public yet. That's fine. No, no, I thought I'd ask. I was just sort of interested in some of the most exciting projects for you that you've been working on that have absolutely, you know, published out in the public domain that you can talk about. Yeah. Well, Anyone? one of the things we did do with Meta at the end of last year is we hosted a panel. So we don't normally do this. You know, we're not normally event organizers, 
but we wanted to build our relationship with their head of creative for EMA who needed to organize a panel on creativity in the metaverse. So I had gone into Meta's office and given a talk on content marketing in the metaverse as a way to, so I think a lot of agencies go into big corporates and they do like their intro deck to try to get more stakeholders aware of what they do. Well, I wanted to put like unique spin on that. So what I did was I did an interesting talk on content marketing in the metaverse and, you know, where I thought that content marketing was going and what it might look like in the metaverse as a way to introduce coffee house to some more stakeholders internally in a way that wasn't just like a direct sales pitch. And from that opportunity, we were asked to kind of help them curate a panel. I put ourselves forward as well because I found out that their head of creative needed to do this. She'd been asked as part of their autumn inspiration to do a panel on creativity in the metaverse, but didn't know how to organize events. You know, wasn't something that she was super used to doing. I knew a lot of people from my network. So she pulled in a couple of people she knew. We pulled in a couple of people we knew and we created a panel on creativity in the metaverse that we did at the meta headquarters in London that maybe had about 50 people attending in person and people attending online as well. It was a really good opportunity to be able to introduce Coffee House to more stakeholders at Meta because it's quite a global organization. You know, there's hundreds of thousands of people who work there. And the more people who know us and know what we do, the better. So that was a really good opportunity. And that was a really interesting talk. You know, we talked around creativity in the metaverse and had some really interesting panel speakers. And I got to host the event. So it was a great way to get more internally at Meta. And a great way to kind of align your brands, you know, Copyhouse and Meta. I think it's super smart, Catherine, and great tips, I think, for anyone listening. You know, we don't want to be seen as going in pitching our services. It just tends to be a one-way street. But when you're going in under a different kind of banner in thought leadership, sharing knowledge and leveraging understanding of the marketplace, I think that's really helpful. Is there anything that you would advise agency owners listening to this to kind of keep their team at the forefront of what's changing because clearly you're out in the lead and versus lots of other agencies that I've seen you've become really a mouthpiece and you know a thought leader for sure other leaders that are listening to this what's your views on whether that's been useful for your agency and whether you would recommend other agency owners and leaders doing the same thing Yes, I would definitely recommend it. You know, I started building my personal brand long before I even knew what personal branding was. So I've been working on it for about four years now and just reached a 10,000 follower mark. And, you know, it's brought so many opportunities, both for a new business, but also for, you know, speaking opportunities, thought leadership, marketing. It's brought in employees who have known me and interacted with me through LinkedIn before they actually applied for roles at Coffee House. I think my personal brand's pretty much touched just about everything and all of the growth that we've had in some shape or form. So when we won Meta, actually, one of the things that they said was that they picked us for our specialty, but also for my leadership skills. Now, we had only done a pitch, so it would have been impossible for them to know about those leadership just through presentation. How they knew about that was what they would have seen on LinkedIn and what they would have seen via my content. So I think you almost need to, you have to, you have to have somebody in the company who is front and center, who is socializing and building relationships and connections and, you know, enjoys doing that. I think it would be really hard to run an agency completely in isolation with no personal branding, no personality from the founder and no connections. I mean, you need people. (laughs) You need friends. It's going to make the journey a lot easier. And, you know, it's going to make 
the whole thing run a lot smoother. So I would say 110% personal branding needs to be part of your strategy. You know, you need to be speaking, you need to be networking, you need to be building these relationships and these connections. And the only way you can really do that is if you get out of the day to day, you can't be doing all of that and doing all the creative output or doing all the operations or doing all the client services. You know, you need a team who can do that so that you can focus on being, you know, the front and center and the brand ambassador and, you know, helping to promote your company. Great advice. Final question. What trends are you seeing in content marketing in the B2B space, particularly as it comes to, you know, tech and fintech? Yeah, there's a lot of really interesting ones, especially in B2B. So one of the big ones that we've seen emerging over the last couple of years is a greater empathy and a greater understanding for an audience. So, you know, B2B, especially B2B copywriting, used to have a really bad reputation of being very jargon heavy, very dull, very boring. But especially during the pandemic, you know, we started to realize that the people who work in these businesses are, in fact, people. So we needed to cater to them and understanding their emotions and their psychology. So we've been helping clients to build those customer avatars and then create content that speaks directly to their audience. And I think that the empathy is a big trend that has been emerging, that is continuing to emerge and will only do so as we go forward. You know, I think long gone are the days of a really super clear divide between B2C and B2B. Yes, B2B is different. You know, there are more stakeholders involved. It's a bit more complicated. Sales cycles are longer. You know, there are lots of top level things. But at the end of the day, we're all human. That's a good piece of advice. Absolutely. So Catherine, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing so many helpful tips and so much insight. This has really been enjoyable for me. I've scribbled down lots of notes. Who would you like to be contacted by and what's the best way to contact you? Yeah, well, if you're thinking about content marketing in the B2B tech space, drop me a line. You can email me or follow me on LinkedIn. Check out our website. And yeah, just say hi. There's lots of ways that we can help. And I'm always happy to hear from agency owners or people working internally in brands. I'm just here to help, really. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been brilliant. No worries. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Catherine and she is one of these people you just come away from feeling super energized and I think she's doing so many things right with her agency, with her team and with her clients. For example, her agency's proposition is very, very clear and if you look at her website, she serves a specific market, tech and fintech, with a specific service, content marketing. Now, this is clearly helping her to attract the right clients and her growth from zero to 25 people in three years is absolutely testament to that. She's leading the agency from the front as well. And if you follow her on LinkedIn, which I highly recommend you do, you'll see she regularly talks on podcasts. She's invited to speak at events. She contributes articles to Forbes magazine, and she's really positioning herself as that future focused content marketing expert that understands the tech and fintech industries. Now, this positions her as an expert in this space and clients ideally want to work with agencies who have the specific expertise that relates to their sector and what they're looking to achieve as a business. Now, she's building a dedicated client advocacy program with a mixture of fun experiences and education. 
And this is also going to help to keep her agency at the forefront of what's changing in the industry and also at the forefront of her clients' minds. She has also separated her account management and her project management team. So her account managers are freed up from the detailed delivery aspect of everything that we have to do to deliver a project, which requires an immense attention to detail like resourcing, scoping, scheduling, trafficking, amendments, delivery. And then the account managers are able to focus on consulting with clients, looking at the future and identifying ways that they can add ideas and help them grow. So they are proactively suggesting ideas to help. So I'm going to leave you with a clip from one of Catherine's account management team who came on my account accelerator program and is taking a really super proactive approach to the management of her client relationships and the growth of her accounts. And then Catherine is going to talk about the impact that has had on the agency's bottom line. So I hope you enjoy this clip and I'll see you on the next one. I think I'm doing more recaps uh, with clients. I'm, I'm reminding them every time more of processes, uh, guiding them more. I'm keeping up to speed with my call notes. Uh, it's actually helping to share more information internally. One thing that has been that has helped me a lot, and I actually realized it the other day, is the upselling aspect. After a call with the client, my project manager uh, called me and uh, mentioned that it was quite impressive how I navigated uh, a client towards upselling. I've been proposing brainstorming sessions with clients in order, to, as you said, to find a way to integrate ourselves into their marketing strategy. Our pipeline um, before the course, you know, was really dry and then now it's at it's the same amount as new business and it's more than doubled.